we were doing the manipulation research laboratories, you know, one, two, and three. And I remember at the end of number three, Ivar came to, came to me and said, and I was kind of, I don't know, proud, but I was happy that we, we had done that work and it felt like we had done something quote unquote real or <laughs> significant in some way. And, and we had learned a lot and it was a process and it was a lot to go through. But I remember Ivar kind of saying, um, why didn't you, why didn't you do anything? <laughs> and I was of course a little bit offended or confronted. And I was like, what do you mean? Like we just did these three laboratories to investigate juggling in different ways and look at all these results we produced. I mean, we made DVDs out of those things and I wrote articles and whatever. And Ivar's point was we had made a bunch of experiments, but we, ha we hadn't actually integrated those experiments into our work. Why didn't we make something? Why didn't we do something with those things that we were investigating? It's almost like, uh, I mean, this is a really stupid metaphor, but you know, we had discovered the notes of a scale, but we hadn't written a song yet or something, right? And so I didn't really understand what he said for, a, for many years later, but definitely this idea of, or you see a lot of this also happening with technology. You see like a new technology comes out. You know, I, I'm uh, hanging out with Brian Crabtree and these musicians in this electronic music world and a new piece of equipment will come out and it will do, a, let's say, a new trick, you know, for lack of a better term. And it's like you see a bunch of demo videos when that new piece of gear comes out and the videos just focus on the new tricks, but there's not really any, I'll say, music being made, right? And so this idea that um, it really started to to eat at me <laughs> from the inside that you can have all of this, uh, well, new technology, new tricks, new understanding about what you're doing. But if that information or those experiences aren't coming out in the actual work, it also, that's what Ivar is saying. He's kind of calling into question the value, not the value, but just the potential of, of pointing out and saying, hey, you could have actually done something with this. And you just, just to say, it's easy to get distracted um, to think that this process of having the understanding of what you're doing replaces the actual process of making meaningful work with those ideas. And I'll just give you one more example. And I wonder what you have to say about all this. But basically, there was a, a juggler I met who gave, a, I have to say, well, very lengthy, but pretty compelling, very, very long speech uh, to me in private about how the three ball cascade is a time machine. It's like time travel or something. And I have to say, I mean, it was like a two or three hour long kind of uh, discussion. And at the end of those two or three hours, I don't know, I was kind of convinced I was kind of on board for all the concepts. I mean, it was an amazing kind of construction of like a thought experiment that, okay, the three balls move through the air, you know, through time and space like this and time machine and time travel, whatever. Um, and at the end of the, but, but so, so then at the end of it, you juggle the three ball cascade and you go, wow, look, time travel. And I remember being pretty excited by that experience. It was a fun, fun conversation. And I came the next day to show you or something. Like I tried to show you, I was like, Eric, Eric, look at this time travel. And then I juggle three balls and you weren't there for the three hour long explanation. And then you're just like, yeah, cool, man. You're doing the three ball cascade that I learned when I was, you know, 16 years old or whatever, how old you were. And so I'm really, I've really become a little bit, I don't say obsessed, but concerned maybe with this idea that um, you can have all of this 
intellectualization around the work, but uh, the work itself, the actual physical practice of the work maybe doesn't change. And I'm, I'm kind of concerned or I'm afraid I'm, I, that I would do that uh, to fall into that trap. Yeah, <clears throat> I, I think... I think I know what uh, Eva means when he says that. I I I wanna. I mean, I wanna. I wanna define a little bit the the different aspects of of an experience like that, like the manipulation research laboratory, which was. I mean, we got together for a few days with a bunch of jugglers, and then we had you you and in collaboration with others had prepared lists of, of experiments that we would do. I mean, g- give an example of just one exper- experiment. Well, also just to say, I mean, experiment sounds pretty <clears throat> grand, but they were just ideas to try, right? I'll be more humble and say yeah. like, there were some things we wanted to try. Oh, I remember a couple that were some of my favorites. They were so fun. And actually, you know, I worked a lot with Luke Wilson on those ideas and Ben Richter. And well, you, you helped us a lot too. And, and especially number three, Ivar, he had a couple of really fun ideas. So one was this, that you should juggle and the objects should get heavier and heavier, mm-hmm. right? And that one was there. Then we had a, we had a, a collection of objects that were, yeah, they, they, they increased in weight for whatever reason, probably by material or size, right? And I remember I was, or I think it was Luke. I don't remember. I think he was doing the juggling. And on one person on one side, it was with Matthias Salmanejo. And on one person on one side was taking objects out of the pattern. And the other person on the other side of Luke was feeding the objects into the cascade. So the experience Luke had is that he never stopped juggling the cascade, but the objects were switched out by me and Matthias on either side of him. And the experience for Luke is that the objects got heavier and heavier as he juggled. That was like our very quick and dirty, you know, solution to give that sensation because um, so far as I know, there isn't an object that I can actually juggle that will get heavier and heavier necessarily. I mean, at this point, um, so we did, we did a simulation of that idea, but yeah. the other one that I experienced myself, which was so fun and so crazy was we had this idea that, um, you know, in site swaps, uh, well, just to say fundamentally, the site swaps, site swaps only talk about the relationship of the objects to each other. Let's be clear, Right. That's the only thing that's that's noted is the time of when the next beat of when those objects are going to be manipulated. But traditionally, that time is noted by the height of a throw, the technique of throwing a ball, which means you get progressing progressively higher throws as the site swaps, the, the value numbers go up, right? So a nine is higher throw than a three. Well, you know, if you do a higher throw than a lower throw, it takes more effort and more energy Right. If you have if you have a ball like what you you like the PM, yeah. PM juggling balls. They're super yeah, nice, pizza, right? Pizza Mavashi, Yeah. Yeah. So if you throw that ball, uh, the sight swap three, and you sh- you throw that ball sight swap nine, it takes more energy to throw the nine, right? Correct. Okay. So what we did was, <laughs> we tried to do different heights of throws by using the same energy, the same amount of energy, which means that for a really high throw. We had a super light ball, a ping pong ball. And for a low throw, we had a super heavy ball, like a really <laughs> thick steel ball bearing. Do you remember this? I don't. No. And I juggled the sight swap 633 with two ping pong balls and two steel ball, big, like huge, I don't know, 
couple kilos each or more ball bearings. And that was weird, man. Mm. <laughs> like, I, I mean, for sure, obviously, in, in terms of a quote unquote scientific test, I was expending different amounts of energy. But the sensation as a juggler was bizarre, man. I mean, yeah. that was really... Um, so the high throws, you're with throwing a light balls. objects. Yeah. The low throws, you're, th you're using heavy objects. Yeah, so in theory, I could just throw the same, but just because the, the object had a different property, it would go to a different height. And right. that was a pretty cool experience. So yeah, that was some of the stuff I remember from the yeah, NRL. Yeah, no, that's good. I mean, the one I remember is when we did, we said, well, when you, when you juggle, you, there's only one gravity. Like, yeah. it's just the balls are pulled yeah in one direction so i think we called it multi-gravitational well, experience a, or something like yeah that. there was a double gravity situation yeah, double gravity. and there was also a triple gravity situation we can we we came up with i mean the double gravity situation was just west in the shower you're right with the shower head on full power to um, the side pointed you know horizontally across his face and then he could throw again objects with different properties a styrofoam ball and mm -hmm. then that metal ball because the styrofoam ball the water would affect Right. right. Uh, but the steel ball, the gravity, the, the, the normal gravity, yeah. uh, it would only the, the water would not affect the steel ball. So the, it was a double gravity situation. And we did another one, which is a triple gravity situation, which was with hair dryers um, mm -hmm. at different angles on a tabletop surface mm. uh, with uh, some ping pong balls. So dropping the ball, bouncing the balls off of the table, but having them being blown in different ways. Right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah, no, that, that was a fine uh, recap of, of the types of experiments that we did in the MRL. Yeah. And I do think, like, I get what Ivar means when he says, like, yeah, but you didn't do anything. You didn't make any works out of it. But I do think that it depends a little bit on what you mean. Because let's say we would have made a performance. That's, a, that's a, an ephemeral experience. But so was your experience of of participating in those experiments right mm. so i think there was ephemeral experiences and there were like we made those dvds and you made those articles so i do think that the statement's only true if you have a very defined uh, idea about what an actual work of art is right like yeah sure if you made a show We didn't, we didn't make a show. Yep. We didn't make an act. We didn't make, yeah, but something I think, concrete like that. Yeah. But I do think that those ephemeral experiences that we had were valuable to the same degree as if we would have made a performance with them. I think Ivar's comment, I, I think Ivar's statement was more that we also didn't make a comment about it, really. We didn't give a personal opinion about what we did, right? So I did experience the ping pong ball, steel, steel ball bearing pattern, yeah. but I didn't really, in the end, somehow express to Ivar what I thought about that or felt about that or what I wanted to do with that or... Yeah, right. There could have been a next step where, yeah. where the result of the experience Maybe a was a then... a reflection. Yeah, was then used as, as a reflection or as the foundation to some other creation. Yeah, so... That would then have been... Yeah. Uh, conscious because we had made the realization in the experiment yeah yeah that, no that is true yeah definitely um well so one thing i mean i mean just related to this really fast is again that you know that that uh three ball cascade as a time machine thing um, where you have this three hour long speech about how that's uh, a possibility or that's you know that's an op that's one way to look at it and then in the end you just end up doing the three ball cascade and if you haven't heard that three hour long 
speech, well, you're kind of missing out. And I just noticed that there's been, um, again, I'm going to point out, uh, <laughs> I know you know this, but you're doing a PhD. <laughs> and th that just means that there's this, uh, there's a trend. I mean, there's a trend of academic uh, institutional, I don't know, program uh, around circus. There's, there's, there's been a real effort to make uh, academic work around circus for whatever, you know, whatever way, other way to say it. And I find some of these initial steps that I've seen, that I've, that I've, that I've experienced in my life with this academic circus uh, evolution is that I find a real tension or struggle between this idea that circus is, is generally, or I don't know what you would say, it's a physical practice. Like juggling for me is a physical practice. And uh, you can have all these different ideas about juggling, but unless they actually come out in the work in a really meaning meaningful significant way and i can judge that metric by just saying well if the idea can be seen and, ex and and experienced through the juggling itself then i would say that's a successfully meaningful way um to whatever diff you know whatever level of detail you want but i'm pretty um i'm pretty concerned with this idea that we can have we can do all this talking we're doing now all this conversation but at the end of it all, I'm an artist and I'm a juggler and I want to have these thoughts come out and, and actually be useful into uh, the physical practice of my juggling. Um, yeah, um, I'll say a couple of things. First, I want to comment on, uh, on the time travel thing. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, okay, there's this story about, let's say, it, let's assume that this can I tell you what it is really fast? Because it's 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 easy to sum up really fast. Okay, yeah, sure. It's that you have uh you have a you have this pattern the cascade which is the same shape for all the balls. The all the balls take the same path, and so in one way, if you take a snapshot of that pattern at any point in time, you can say that there's a ball that's just been thrown. There's a ball that's going to be caught, and there's a ball that was uh just just uh just thrown or whatever. Like there's there's the three. And uh, now I messed that up. <laughs> yeah, it's the the ball that was just thrown, the ball that's about to be caught, and the ball that's in the hand. Yeah, yeah exactly. And so then you could say that that ball is the same ball. It's like three variations of the same. Yeah, it's the three states of the same. So you could say one ball, one ball is in the present, yeah. one is in the past, and one is in the future. Yeah. Oh, anyway, yeah, kind of funny. Yeah, okay, but let's just assume that I'm very convinced by this story, that it is incredible. Okay. Let's just assume that. And then when you come to me that the next day and you show me the cascade and you go, oh, look, time travel, and <laughs> I'm not excited like you are. Yeah. Uh, I think it depends also. And then, you, and then the conclusion there is that the theory didn't enter the physicality of the work, right? That's In that argument. instance, yeah. In that instance. In that presentation of whatever. Yeah. So I do think that that's also relying on what you allow into the work. Because if you allow the story into the work and the story convinced me or whoever, right? Yeah. Then I think you do that. Then there was a transformation. I mean, this mixed media stuff is can be very clunky in that in that way. Like I find it, hmm. if I have to if I have to con convince you of my theory with my additional story yeah that it's not 
it doesn't it's not contained within like the purity of the activity alone mm. that could be seen as clunky and like there's a lot of possible friction and stuff like that in mm. that so sure i could i could you know i could say that it's not fantastic because of that aspect but i i could also say well the story is integrated in the yeah in the entire experience of the cascade and then it works i mean the story that comes to my mind is the puppeteer that wanted he wanted the most possible uh emotional um experience out of the uh, most minimal movement or activity Mm. that he could think of okay and the way he solved that was that he made a puppet just a you know another person that was a puppet on the hand Mm. and then the play was that he and the puppet were friends and they were having this they they had a relationship i forget what the relationship were was if it was father and son or two friends or whatever it was but that he the puppeteer throughout the play he got more and more and more alcoholic Hmm. and his abuse his uh, alcohol abuse just uh, kept increasing throughout the play and eventually they he reached a moment where he's passed out on the table and the the and the puppet leans over him and strokes his his head and the puppet is so the pinky is one arm and the the thumb is the, the other thumb arm. is the other arm so so with just a slight movement of the pinky mm. he could show affection between the puppet and the puppeteer okay and that caused i mean people cried in the audience right let's so by moving your pinky people cry yeah exactly so yeah, there yeah. there you go so there he achieved mm. that uh, that task in that instance but then you know you had to oh, in that sense, you had to include the story, right? You couldn't just move your pinky and people cry. <laughs> right, right. But that's the result you get in the end. I mean, I think there's another level to it as well of this the time travel story where it's like, I don't really even need the time travel necessarily to be the thing that's expressed, but I would hope that all of my thinking and talking and discussing with you and researching and looking and, and searching around and whatever that it would it would at least transform that cascade into something else a little bit different than just the cascade that at least when i would have shown that to you, the three wall cascade to you or the th- sorry not the cascade but the new thing you wouldn't just go oh yeah three ball cascade you know yawn it would have been like oh what's that maybe you wouldn't have been like time travel but you would have been like hey what's that thing that's kind of different i didn't even achieve that level of of you know impact <laughs> I mean, you can you can ask, you know, like which medium is it that you're exploring, and if you decide that well, it's juggling, right. then that you know sets up a certain totally framework around what you're trying to do. I mean, the example that comes to my mind, like I could do my juggling routine in front of a big screen TV where we show, you know, <laughs> I don't know, Casablanca or something. Yeah, and of course the experience is different, and 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 maybe someone really feels for for ilsa when they see that i don't know but to me it it seems clunky and perhaps not that inter- interesting yeah uh, well okay but but let me follow on from that cuz what i wanted to do is i wanted to ask you you are you are in this um i don't know what do you call it what do you call your phd is it education research you're in this process with the institution it's artistic research artistic research cool so how do you integrate 
a physical practice with this theoretical thinking. Does it, you know what I mean? Yeah, sure. Uh, well, first of all, you have to, you have to say something about what, what is physical practice and what is theoretical thinking. It, it's a little bit too vague, I think, to just have them as, as, as uh, concepts that... Well, I, I, okay, um, I mean, I'm going to let you do that, but uh, I just want to uh, say a comment about that, which is at some point, if, if you know, in, the- in theory, if juggling for me, I don't know how it is for you, um, maybe we have to first discuss that. I mean, for me, juggling is a physical activity. And this, this comes into contention then, for example, where do we draw the line around what is juggling and what is dance and what is puppetry and what is whatever else? It's, it's again in Jerome Tama. He has his cubic system and the cubic, it doesn't have like nine pages. There's like, they call it, he calls them pages or something, right? And in page zero, uh, before the first page, it's like, you can imagine a martial arts kind of uh, practice of like a series of movements, of physical movements that you, uh, or, or like a, a ballet, like a ballet bar exercise, right? There's a standardized series of movements that you go through to refine your your yeah refine your movements and so he says in page zero ah, i'm messing this all up but uh, there's no objects so you go through the physical movements of your hands and your and your your arms and your legs and your body but you don't have any juggling balls with you and then in page one the balls enter this the scene and you do those same movements but with the three ball juggling at the same time and so of course there's a big argument uh people had back in the day about, well, is page zero juggling or not? And Jerome insists that it is. He says, I am juggling, but just with no objects. And of course, I think for me personally, in that example, I kind of draw the line and say, well, I have to draw the line somewhere between dance and juggling. And I say, well, if there's no objects, it's not juggling. I don't know. How do you feel about that? Well, that I think that's the John Cage situation. For what, me, that's the John Cage. What do you mean? silence is music it's the same it maps perfectly onto that so i probably would say i mean this is just but just clarify yeah. what that means i know what you mean because we've been talking about right that right, right. okay so john cage made that? the song 433 4 minutes and 33 seconds of silence it's a musical piece and yeah and then there's a couple of arguments why that would be considered music and I would lean into that and say, yeah, I, I, I can, I can consider, I can see utility in considering that to be music, and by that same argument, I could also, then, see utility in seeing some piece of movement without objects as juggling for the same. Okay, cool. For the same reason. So following on from that that Jerome Tama example, then where where I'm, what I'm kind of thinking about with my question to you then about a physical practice. Uh, being integrated with theoretical mm-hmm. thinking is that, well, if I am in an academic environment and I am having this intellectual process about my work, I mean, does it, does it, is it, is it ever juggling if it never goes back into the physical movement of juggling? I mean, then what does it become? Is it, does it become writing? Does it become philosophy? Does it become, do you know what I mean? Like where's the yeah, line? Sure. You know? Well, I'll say a couple of things. I mean, first of all, in terms of, in terms of the, artistic research, uh, I don't think it's really that that's the task to integrate physical practice and theoretical thinking. Mm. I think that's what a lot of people are doing. Okay. And, uh, but that's not necessarily what we have to do 
in order to engage in artistic research, I think we can do it also through the work alone. Mm. And there's people who's been pushing for that too. Just to say, that's just mm. maybe a side note. I think that <clears throat> since there is a lot of theoretical thinking and discourse and writing, etc., in that field, it's probably because of you know tradition and and just because it's it's an effective method mm. to explore anything. Sure. And it is very effective for a lot for many people to to do that through writing, through discourse, through uh, analysis. Uh, so 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 there's that. Um, but uh, yeah. Well, do you would you sit down and write about what you're gonna do, and then you go to like the the practice studio, and then you juggle a little bit, and you go back to your office and you write or whatever space. If you want. No, but yeah. do you do you do that? uh well i have both those <laughs> i do both those things in my in my practice yes i do physical practice and theoretical thinking and i guess i try to integrate them so the question is valid for me yeah yeah but i can't answer for no but i want to hear for you then what, what's your how do you do that how, yeah, do, how okay. do you do that so first of all let's say let's take an example so physical practice. So in my case, what is the physical practice? Well, it's to make objects and to use those objects in something like juggling. Hmm. Okay. That's concretely and, and briefly what, what my physical practice is. And also that th those two states, if you will, the practice with the object and the making of the object, that those two are also integrated. So perhaps you you're making something right and then you go into the studio the practice studio and you practice and you see what kind of movement and what kind of thing you can you can create with it similarly mm. to a juggler and there that will give ideas and feedback right mm. towards what should be done in the in the wood workshop so maybe you take your little object that you've made and you go back into the wood workshop and you and you uh, modify it i think uh I mean, I was I was um, creating a couple of of acts or, or choreographies with juggling or whatever recently yeah. with some music, yeah. and generally, I don't know. I find it such a when there's too many options, right? I just get so lost, and 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 it's like I started editing the music at the same time I'm creating the juggling, yeah. and it's like oh, this section of the music, uh, I should do two more throws, so I'll just extend that beat a little bit. But then where do you, so you're talking about going into the workshop and you say, oh, just cut the corner off a little bit, around the corner a little bit more. Exactly. And, you, and then you go back and you try to juggle that thing again. And you're like, ah, oh. so how do you know? I mean, for me, I would just get, I just got lost in this hallway of mirrors, you know, of infinite possibility in terms of where do you change and where do you anchor or ground yourself? Do you have any sort of. Um, yeah, I mean, there, you have to frame that up, I think, because mm. you're never in a situation where you have infinite time and infinite resources. <laughs> yeah, you're going to run out of time, you're going to run out of wood, you're going to run out of, <laughs> you know, right, glue, or whatever it is that you're doing. So yeah, you have to frame that up in some way. And one, I mean, you one way of doing it very simply is to just give it a time restraint, like mm. we did in MRL. Okay, I'm going to work on this for two days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I mean, more specifically, the MRL was, yeah, we had the duration of the event. But, you know, Luke was the best at saying you have seven and a half minutes. Right. Or, you know, you have 12 minutes, you have five minutes. Right. Yeah. So there's that. Yeah. But I mean, I you, you can do it in some other ways. You could also say, 
another way of doing it would be okay i'm gonna i'm working with this piece of wood i'm gonna make 10 variations okay yeah and then you make 10 different kinds of it and then you practice with them and you see which one was the best okay it was number four mm. that one was the one i liked because of reason x y these qualities yeah yeah exactly yeah. whatever you came up with right and then you could have a con continuation so so there you have two examples of that but in terms of the integrated uh, theoretical thinking um i do think that um to to reflect to bounce back a little bit about the artistic research mm -hmm. and what that is uh, so what one thing that that is is that the process is documented okay and that's also you know a little bit up to you of course how you want how you want to interpret that yeah but you could do that in writing you could film what you're doing you could take pictures um, and do you mean documentation for an external eye or for yourself or is that up to you again to define um yeah i think it's it's you're pretty free and how do you choose to do it? i mean are you just documenting this for yourself that you know it's like scribbling in your notebook that nobody can read but you <laughs> or is it are you trying no. to frame it that I could read it and maybe get some understanding of what you're talking about? Yeah, I mean, the, the scribble in the notebook, that's kind of an interesting uh, example, actually, because I think you could do that. Yeah. You have the, the documentation is this, you know, collection of, of you know, uh, incomprehensible scribbles. But perhaps then... So someone's going to ask you questions about that along the way. Well, very often I know I'll be in a project and someone will say, oh, just send me over those notes you got. Because I'll have yeah. notes. And I just know in my mind, I'm like, you just asked me to commit to three hours of work because my notes are so internally personal that you will, I can't send you this document. It doesn't work. And the other thing that it comes to mind is when I was, uh, let's say 12 years old, I had notebooks. I was so I was so into juggling, you know, and I had a notebook. And back then... We just had these names of chicks. There was Eric's Extension and Rubenstein's Revenge. And I remember I would make up tricks and I would write down in the notebook. I had no way of describing or notating juggling, especially not with sight swap. It wasn't around yet. And um, I, ha I I tried to draw pictures and arrows and you've done the same. And you give it a name and you go Eric's Extension's elbow or something like, like there's a reference to an already known pattern. But then, you know. A month later, a year later, I would go, I totally would go back to that notebook and read that and go, wait, Eric's extensions elbow. And I would look at the arrows and whatever, and I would do a trick. I would make a trick out of that drawing, but that trick was not the trick I wrote down. And then that way it was kind of a fun creative process, like a, like a feature instead of a bug in this, in this documenting, you know, in, you know, it was, it, yeah. So that was just kind of a funny, um, uh, uh, way to use documentation in the wrong way, I guess, or yeah, the wrong. Yeah. I mean, I do think that if you want to do a PhD in anything, you probably have some kind of desire to communicate what it is that you're doing, and you're also going to be in a process, you know, with professors and 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 peers and other people around you that constantly going to talk to you about your work. Mm. So even if there is the Perhaps there is the possibility for you to throughout that entire time just leave after a long trace of incomprehensible scribbles. Mm -hmm. it, would, it would surprise me if anybody did. I don't know what would happen if you did. But mm. probably you're, you're, 
you're beyond that step when you <laughs> well, when, well, what, when you start. <laughs> well, what have you been doing to document your 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 work so far? Then I mean, I mean, anything beyond? I mean, anything that kind of comes to mind to stick out and go, oh, I didn't think I'd do that, but. You're taking a bunch of photos, or you you made a painting. I don't know. Uh, well, I'm most mostly writing. You know, I try yeah. to write and I try to articulate thought. And so, in my in my practice specifically, this first step of the PhD is is a uh, like I'm reflecting over things that I've already done because yeah. that's kind of what's been missing in in my life is that you know you you when when you're a working artist you're constantly under pressure to produce new work because that's what you need in order to you know stay afloat um so so that's what i've been kind of longing for in my mm-hmm. in, in just my artistic life is that moment to be able to sit down and and reflect and also you know kind of you know sometimes post rationalize but like what yeah. was i doing really like i felt like i've i had a pretty conscious process but it's been growing for so many years so that a lot of it in, you know, in the beginning, you go from the intuitive to the conscious. And I think everybody does that. And the the further back I look into my process, the more intuitive it was, I think. Yeah, I mean, I mean, one thing I recognized that over the years from being a well, preteen or teenager going into the, you know, years, the decade after that, I kind of had to, uh, on purpose, train myself of how I would speak to myself. And I don't know if you did this. But it was like this, you know, when I was 12 years old, I would go see some juggling or see a show or a video and I'd be like, that was cool. And that, that was the end of the statement. That was cool. And I have to say, I don't think that's worthless. I think it's super good to know what excites you and what, what you're passionate about and what you like and what you don't like. So there's definitely that curation of your editorial eye of what, what you're drawn to. So that's really good. Hey, that, 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 I think that's cool. I think that's, that's a really valid place to start. But what I had to try to do to push myself to go further was to try to get to a point where those words, my, my, the things I would say out of my mouth, they would have some more concrete meaning because something being cool, that's just really not specific. It's really not definite. Like everything is cool or, you know, it could be anything. So then I'd have to say to myself, if I saw something, then I would say, okay, that was cool. And then I'd go, why? And then again, it would probably be another ambiguous statement. I'd go, because it was amazing or, you know, whatever. There's so many ways to dodge being specific. But eventually I could say, if I asked myself why enough, then I could say, oh, it was cool because, you know, the car was red. Oh, okay, red, you know, and I got to a a place of being concrete and specific about the moment. Maybe not the most specific or the most concrete I could be, but I really had to train this critical voice in my head. And I really remember going through this process especially of going to see performances. And I would say, man, I, I love this. I love this show. Why? Oh, it was cool. Okay. Why was it cool? Well, uh, because it, you know, it, it was fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Why was it fun? But then eventually it comes down to, well, because there was three people on stage and they interacted in X, Y, Z way. Mm-hmm. And then I could, I could uncover that moment and go, oh, that revealed something in myself where I also would like to work with other people perhaps in, in that same, you know, in that same method. Right. And then I could uncover something about myself through observing that. And of course we've all had the inverse, which is that you get your best ideas from watching shows you don't like yeah. because you're watching that show. And I, rem- I remember so distinctly, I was 16 years old and I was watching a show and I was like, 
Why are they doing it like that? <laughs> that's totally wrong. Oh, that's so boring. This is so bad. They should do it like blah, 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 blah. And I had that moment of discovery of like, wait a second. I can do my own show where I do blah, 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 blah. Right? And that, yeah. was, that was really fun. Yeah, but I think you're kind of answering your own question here. Like, how do we integrate theoretical thinking in a physical practice? And I think you're hitting the head on the nail here. It's exactly that. Like, we, you learn how to analyze your observations. And then when you manage to do that, you also train yourself in the, to, to, to abstract out the aspects of your observations that intrigue you, that you find interesting or whatever, whatever it is that, that, that you're looking for. Right. So you abstract that out from those observations. You take those, from, you take those particular details and you abstract it into larger concepts. Exactly. And yeah. then you set up a new frame framework that is the foundation for your physical practice explorations i'm gonna like you're saying oh why was it cool because it was three people interacting in ways xyz well there you have there you have a very concrete foundation for a physical practice i'm gonna get two colleagues Mm. and we're gonna explore this thing in ways xyz and i think also the more that you can do that and the more you can the, the more that you can translate that and and kind of uh twist and turn those things so that it's not these direct carbon copies i think that's when you're getting into interesting territories and i do think that's why a lot of artists they like looking at other types of art Mm. because they've managed to cultivate that that uh, ability to be like hey i look at architecture and then how does that uh yeah. How does reflect that on reflect onto a, a practice of a juggler or a sculptor or a yeah. dancer, right? Well, yeah. Yeah. I mean, for me, I don't know how I, I want to ask how it was for you. For me, that learning that kind of process was super hard. I really had to intentionally train myself to, to speak in specific language. And it was a real struggle for me to, to go through that on my own. I was just alone trying to figure out how that process worked. And at the same time, I want to say coupled along with this struggle, um, I found it to be like juggling technique and that the more I did it and the more I practiced, the better I got at it, which was something that I also found kind of maybe surprising. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Was it hard for me to get into that? Um, yeah, I th- it was probably hard at some point. I don't quite remember my own experience cultivating that right now. But mm. what I do remember is a conversation that you and me have had about which type of person you should take as a student for a juggling school mm-hmm, or a circus mm-hmm. school. Yeah, yeah. And one quality that is really, really good if you're going to find a student is, let's say you want to have a juggler, it is really, really useful if that person has some other artistic uh, mm. experience in another field that they've explored. Mm. They played the guitar, you mm. know, and, and and not just like they can play a little bit of, of a, 
of guitar, but that there's been an experience there. There's been an exploration. There's been an mm-hmm. investigation in some field, and now you're going into juggling because then you perhaps you have a little bit easier of a time to make start making these connections, right? Yeah, and just to qualify, it depends on what's the structure of the juggling program and the aim. And it, those were in the conversations we were having about the type of school or program we might run or, or curate or whatever. Right. So it's, it's, a, it's a very specific aim. But so the reason I was asking you all of this is because I wanted to get to um, a conversation we were having that this was kind of the introduction to all these, all these ideas so far. Um, because there's this idea of, again, how do you your physical practice can kind of uh, benefit from these thoughts that you're having. So, so okay, I'm going to think these different thoughts or have this process and these thoughts will enter my mind in whatever different way. And hopefully these thoughts can actually transform the physical, you know, gestures that I'm doing and, and hopefully in a beneficial way. And so this idea of expression of ideas through physical, uh, you know, physical movements or, or juggling or whatever and so we were having a conversation um, about how do you express emotion through juggling? And I think this is relevant or th- th- relevant, but I mean, this is a sorry, popular. That's, that's the word, not relevant. It's popular. It's a popular topic because you and I both, we teach, uh, teach juggling in circus school. And I've had, the, I've had students ask me many times, you know, because they've heard this, they've heard this rhetoric from where, wherever they hear it, from either the institution or their classmates or another you know, their friends in another country or whatever, they've observed this people saying, you have to be, you're an artist, so you have to be expressive. You're going to express something, right? And I think it can be a very intimidating thing to hear because especially when you're juggling, you're just, you're just there at the three-ball cascade and you're like, this has to express something. It has to mean something more than what it is. And that can be a crazy uh, obstacle to confront. I mean, if you've never thought about it before, right? And even if you have it, it's, it's, it can be really, really hard to to get into that so then at some point they think about expression i think it's a pretty straightforward uh line to get to emotion because when we think about expressing something well you express your emotions i'm i'm happy i'm sad i'm angry right i mean that's a very concrete thing to express rather than i'm going to express democracy or i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna express uh, hospitalization i mean pick a word that's just you know harder than I'm going to express anger or whatever, right? And so we had this little email exchange, uh, the two of us. And you had actually written, you, you, you sent me an email I'm going to read, if that's okay with you. Is it okay? Yes. Okay, so this is, I don't, I don't know if you're going to remember this, but, well, you wrote it, so here we go. You said, uh, the thing that comes to my mind when I read your thoughts on express, expressing emotion through juggling is the attempt to compartmentalize juggling under the same expressional categories as theater or dance. Uh, Anger, for example, is a very concrete and distinct emotion that is often used in theater or other mediums that often deal with life events. If someone wants to illustrate anger with their juggling, they are certainly free to do so, although in my head, I cannot shake the probability of this person trying to align with already established and validated mediums of performance. Personally, I do not think I could watch such a performance without questioning their integrity and authenticity, but I would not lay that at the feet of the individual artist, more at the current state of circus or juggling's uh, conventional and intuitive direction as a medium. 
Most people want success and validation, and I fully get that. And I also accept that there is a chance that the intention is authentic and not driven by outlaying factors. You good so far? Yes. Or halfway done. And keep going? Yeah, keep going. Okay, do you remember writing this? I do not. Okay, so then you so then you said, I know that the expression of juggling is a difficult topic to discuss because there is not really a language to do so, and very little known history or documentation of such a dialogue exists. I would ask though, if there is some other work of art, or are there other are there some other works of art that are established? that share a greater connection to juggling than performance art intended to convey clear and distinct emotions. Perhaps a Jackson Pollock painting, generally speaking, shares more with the expression of juggling uh, than parentheses, ignoring the slapped on theatrical layers on top of it, than it, it, it shares more with the expressions of juggling than some theatrical drama. I would certainly think so. Then ask the question how large, how a large percentage of an audience would consider uh, Jackson Pollock's work to convey a distinct and clear emotion, unison uh, to all spectators, that all spectators would be united in this expression of the, or, you know, this, this distinct, clear emotion. My guess is that the expression is located in the interpretation side of things, parentheses, uh, connected to what is inherent to each spectator. But you say, I'm only guessing here. I know that Rothko wanted his paintings to deal with great emotions and also that they should be viewed from a close distance, both ideas that seem surprising to me when I view his works. So I'm certainly open that others feel completely different than I do about all these matters. Eric. <laughs> okay, yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I stand by those words. Yeah, okay. I don't remember writing them, but I, I, I stand by them. And uh, I do think that there is... Like maybe we we touched upon this a little bit before with circus that circus is this performance art now that is trying to achieve the uh, credibility of theater mm. and dance or trying to to harness uh, uh, um, that credibility to ele- elevate itself to justify its it's uh, well to get funding for yeah people, everything to get respect and audience to get to yeah all of those to things. find a venue yeah all of those things right okay. yeah so therefore uh, kind of a shortcut to getting there is to just incorporate themes and concepts and uh, you know aspects of those performance art forms straight into circus so therefore you we have now circus dramaturgs we have circus mm. directors we have, yeah, I mean, we, the, the list can be very long of things that perhaps weren't really existing in the circus before, mm. but existed in the theater. And now we have them in, cir- in circus. I'm not saying that all of, the, all of that is bad, but sure. it's just an observation that I, can, yeah. that, that I can see. And I do think that it's the same thing with these themes. What is your show about? Yeah. You know, yeah. What are you trying to express? These are uh, imported value systems mm. that was not in the circus necessarily before, mm. and we also import the way we talk about creation, how we talk about performance into circus. I am writing a new show. I am writing a. I've new heard show. that. I've heard people say that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. In circus. In, in jugg- circus. In juggling. Exactly. I'm yeah. writing my new juggling pieces. Like, where do you think that came from? Yeah. 
It's like, that is not a mystery to me. And maybe it's great. Maybe it's great that we have that language now and we can talk about it in that, in that way. But I'm, I'm more hesitant in terms of like, just letting, letting that live without a proper analysis. Well, let me just say a little note on that is I don't think it helps anything because you can say you're writing your juggling piece and I still don't know what you mean. Yeah. It's still a borrowed term that doesn't, in my mind, have a real established, you know, I don't really know exactly what you mean. Because it, it is that, I mean, without being too pedantic, are you literally writing it in a notebook with a pen? Or are you writing it in, an, in a more metaphorical way? I mean, that's still the problem, right? It's like the, the, the words aren't really descriptively accurate in between, I don't know, even between us. Yeah, right. So, but so then there comes the comparison with the Jackson Pollock and, and, and Romeo and Juliet. And like, if you have, so you can look at those two uh, artworks, if we call Romeo and Juliet an artwork, I guess it is. And sure. The Jackson Pollock paintings, they're also artworks. And you look at just juggling, and, and I'm just talking about juggling in its current form. Mm. Then where, what is the the strongest relation there between those two things? And to me, it seems obvious that the Jackson Pollock painting is closer. And I'm not saying that's good or bad. I'm not saying that that's the way it should be. It's just yeah. like, that's what I see if I honestly look at it, you know? Mm. And then, then comes the follow-up question there about the Jackson Pollock painting, do you think that it conveys, uh, conveys a distinct, clear emotion to the audience that sees it? Mm. I don't think so. Mm. Again, I'm, I'm as good of a guesser as anybody else, but mm. let's talk about it. I don't think so. Mm. And I think there has to be some kind of thought process like this that, 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 that comes before you know, the question of like, how do you convey anger in juggling? Mm. That seems to me... That's a much later, uh, that comes later in the chronology for me personally. I mean, this idea of what, what is your show about? Yeah. <laughs> um, there, there's this, um, well, this gets into a little bit of, of the market of the industry or the process by which circus is bought and sold. And it's just, just to say these, these uh, theater directors, these programmers, um, you know, one thing that's for sure, which is established and not risky is theater. I mean, theater is a valid thing that people are into. Romeo and Juliet, uh, that's, that's, a, that's a thing that you can kind of count on. And these directors, they want to fill the seats. They want to be successful at their jobs. They don't want to maybe program something and take a risk that nobody's going to buy a ticket to it because they're going to look bad. It's not, a, it's not only just, I think, the financial side, it's also their ego, as you know, being a, a renowned, uh, very popular theater director. And so, for example, you know, if you align your work with, with theater, then it's less risky for them to, to consider it. Whereas if you come out and you say, hey, I have this show and uh, I juggle colored, different colored rings. And then it's just like, okay, I don't really see the theatrical connection to that. But if you say I have a show and it's juggling Romeo and Juliet, that's at least a little bit more concrete where if you're going to program that for a theater, for an audience, you can say, well, you know, Romeo and Juliet, that's a thing. So the audience is maybe going to connect to it instead of uh, juggling colored rings, which I don't know, again, what is that about? Yeah. And I wonder what you say about this, because this is something I've been saying for the past couple of years and I don't, uh, well, we never talked about it before, but basically, again, trying to draw these lines of, of, 
Jerome Tamah, he's juggling without any objects. And you're saying John Cage 433 and finding the, you know, this discussion. And then I say, okay, well, juggling is, uh, I think juggling is an art form that's unique unto itself. And there's a line between dance and juggling. There's a line between juggling and puppetry. There's a line between juggling and mime. There's a line between juggling and music and storytelling and whatever else, you, you know, fill in the blank there of an art form, poetry and painting and sculpture and whatever other human endeavor. I mean, it's, it's a unique thing on its own. And that's why there's this word for it. It's called juggling and it has these qualities. And then if I look at juggling as an art form, I say, well, juggling deserves to have this uh, unique category because it expresses something that's completely unique to juggling. I mean, that's, it kind of justifies itself. It speaks for itself. But then when somebody says, well, what is your, what is your juggling about? What is your show about? What does it express? And I'm just like, well, if I could put that into words uh, necessarily, then I don't know if juggling would still be juggling. Maybe, maybe juggling then would be poetry or it would be storytelling. Because if I could tell you exactly what juggling expresses using words, then it's some sort of art form that deals with words. I mean, do you, do you agree with that at all? Or is it too, too random to, or unformed to... Well, I mean, I do think that you can interpret juggling, but the question is like, is it going to be different for each in person who's doing the interpretation? And perhaps there, there's a little bit of a difference. Like, I don't know how ambivalent it is to spectators of Romeo and Juliet that they die in the end. Mm. I don't think there is much ambivalence there. Mm. Whereas if you show someone a juggling act... I mean, as it, you know, generally looks like yeah. today. Yeah. I don't think you're going to have this, that same unison. Mm. And that's just a concrete difference there. And does that, but, but then I find it quite a leap to say that, well, juggling doesn't express anything. Mm. There's. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Just because you can't explain it in words. Well, there's this content and then mm. you have to, you have to interpret it it's an interpretative sure uh, sure well so so one thing following on following on from the uh that is our discussion we were having on on email about the expression of emotions with juggling was that i i had i had responded to your email and i had brought up this idea that well instead of kind of arguing or, or or talking about emotions with juggling and what that and all those issues that it brings up that we just talked about i tried to start to think about what what are some things that juggling expresses that we could talk about um i don't know if i if i mean more concretely but more specifically um that might be more intrinsic to juggling so i started to try to think about okay is there something that juggling expresses that's special or or maybe more identifiable for juggling. Well, I, I think also there's something about the question itself. What does X express? Because that uh, already there, I think that it is, it is uh, colored. It, it has, it is of a specific nature, that question. So you, if you take a juggling act, let's say, let's say I'm juggling really, really quick. Mm. Okay. Mm. So you have you have my act that's super quick, fast juggling, mm. and then you have Romeo and Juliet. Mm. And instead of asking the question, what does you know this thing that we're watching express? Mm. You would ask the question, how? Uh, uh, what's the speed of this? Okay. And I think that there you would have unison 
perhaps in the audience sure. on the juggling side of things. Right. Where they would say, well, he was really quick, that guy. Yeah, okay. Right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then uh, the Romeo and Juliet, you'd be like, was that quick? You'd be confused. Yeah. You'd yeah. be like, I don't know. Like, well, they were kind of running there you for would a also, minute. You'd also be like, that's not relevant. Like, why, yeah, exactly. Like, why are you like, asking that? It has, it, there's something about the nature of the question that aligns with, right. with the content of the artwork. Right. And how, how, how well does that map onto it? And, and what are we used to talking? Like what kind of language and what kind of words are we used to using when we're discussing different types of, of, of art? Right. And now we're thinking like, okay, we have got this thing juggling. Well, we're just going to incorporate the same language that we always use when we talk about art. And we think that that's going to work. And if it doesn't work, we're going to in, invalidate the, the, the art form. That seems naive to me. Yeah. Well, yeah, right on, right on. Well, so... Like, it's on you, man. <laughs> you ask the right questions and I'll give you the right answers. Okay, okay, <laughs> okay. Okay, well, well so it, it, was, it was fun for me to, to, to look at juggling and say, okay, but what does juggling express? I mean, I'm going to use that word express. You know, maybe I shouldn't. That's on me. That's on me, man. <laughs> but anyway, um, it was useful. It was like a, it was a fun little thought experiment to say, what is juggling expressing? Um, you know, uh, what, what are the qualities that I see inside of juggling that are communicating, whatever that means. And so I don't know if this, this really answered the question or not, question or not, but I noticed, uh, and this was, this was a discussion with both of us that, there started we started to find examples of moments in the juggling where the visual the visual result is greater than its technique and that that conversation progressed a little bit farther than that i wonder if you do you want to jump in and fill that in yeah i think i want to also make it even more detailed i think it was it's greater than what the technique suggests, suggests. that's right right the visual the visual result is greater than the technique suggests Right. Yeah. So you'll have, for an example, let's give an example. If well, the, yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, let's use the example that we that we one of the examples we used to come up with this, which was about micro motions. But that was one of your moments too. Do you remember the micro motion moment? I mean, there's there's a bunch of them, but it's like there's the butterfly with the crystal ball. Right. Let's take that one. Yeah, let's take that. that let's one. take that one. Yeah. So. So there's, there's, there's this move that James Ernest, I think, uh, <laughs> right? I mean, he, he coined the, 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 the name, the butterfly. Um, but basically what you, there, there's a little bit of a test, right? And tell me if I'm getting this wrong, but um, this test is where you can write down what is happening with the juggling technique. And then the visual result is gonna be maybe, it goes beyond what that might seem to suggest is gonna happen. So, there, so, so what's actually happening with Michael and the crystal ball with the butterfly is he rolls the ball from the back of his hand to the front of his hand and then back to the back of his hand, right? And over and over, and it goes over the tips of his fingers. And so if you would just write that down and say, take a ball, hold it into, you know, hold it on the, the, your palm, roll it over the tips of your fingers to the, to the back of your hand, right? That's the very dry yes. technical description. But somehow when he does that move and the way he does it, of course, it's of course with the style and, and everything he does with it and with the crystal ball and the way he presents it. Um, somehow the visual is, is more than that, more than what I thought it would be when I just read the dry technical description. Whereas, for example, let me give a counter example. Hey, three club scissor catch. 
Juggle three club cascade, throw one of the clubs straight up with a double spin underneath the double spin, collect two clubs in either hand, and then spear, you know, fork the club as it comes down and catch it by the knob. Well, then you read that description and you see the scissor catch and you go, yep, that's what happened. Yeah. Do you totally. know what I mean? Yeah, totally. Oh, is this and fair in enough? The, yeah, in the Michael Motion example, you go, well, what's going on here? Are there magnets involved? Are there yeah. something? Is there something weird about the ball? It's almost like an optical illusion. Yeah. Maybe. Some qualities of that. Yes. Yeah. But in the scissor caps catch uh, example, it's what happens. It's pretty straightforward. Yeah. It, visually, it looks the same. And so you had a you had you had coined a bit of a term about this this quality inside of juggling. What and I never never remember what it is. Yeah, I called it a transcendent visual movement. So yeah. TVM. So TVM. The definition for it would be that the, the, what you said in the beginning. The sentence there. that that so so what is it? Transcendent. Transcendent visual, visual movement. movement. So the is, idea is that the movement transcends the the, the the technical the, the explanation visual, the visual transcends the technique. technical explanation yeah. yeah the technique yeah and so once we had identified that it was super fun to to go down through juggling that we do or juggling that we've seen and try to identify these moments right do you do you i i remember a couple more do you, do you remember any that you want to i mean because i was thinking about it uh in terms of in terms of my own sculptures like the aber cubes ghost cube uh, that changes its name from year to year here but <laughs> there's that moment where, when you when you have a grid of cubes and and you open it and there's these spaces that appear and if if the cubes are frames that also are just you know holes basically mm. you kind of get lost in where the what's the space in between the cubes and what's the space inside the cubes mm. and there is this kind of hollow holographical or 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 it's almost like a mirage yeah mirage a shimmering type. like in the desert and... right there's some some kind of visual like that that appears and the 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 description is just that cubes that are connecting connected at the corners you know are moved or How, something like that and so, what's what's the ghost cube you have um you do it you do it in the you do it in uh, apparat now but it has all the the joints are halfway they're halfway shifted over do yeah you know what i mean yeah i call that the diagonal cube because it is can you describe the technical nature of that easily uh not really because it's, okay <laughs> Okay, it doesn't matter, yeah, but but that yeah, cube, yeah. when you see it, when you start to just shake it very subtly, it looks like it bends space or it bends the air or it bends light somehow. Right. It's weird. Yeah, I mean, it looks that, like it vibrates the air. Yeah, something like that, and that's where why I got interested in this, and I was like, that's that visual thing that's taken place now. That's what I want to investigate. That's what it is. That mm. to bounce back on your first question, mm. how does the theoretical thinking uh integrate, integrate with into the physical, the physical practice yeah. it's exactly that like i saw that in the sculpture hmm. and there i go okay i need to understand that i need to define that i need to have a language for that hmm. so that i can recreate it so that i can make variations so that i can make work that's founded on this idea I remember another example you gave me, um, and I knew exactly what you what you what you meant when you said it. But it's like when you're looking at the top of Anthony Gatto's seven club pattern from the side. Yeah. It looks as if there's just one club, the same club, yeah. spinning forever, constantly in space. 
because his, his pattern is so precise and so accurate that you just, and it's so fast and kinetic that you just get this optical illusion that one is one club is just spinning up there in the air, hanging in the air, just spinning continuously. And I, and, and not, don't get me wrong. It's not about making optical illusions in this, in this work, but it is definitely a quality of that work. And um, you, you went back to talk about your process. And I think the last thing I, re I really want to, <laughs> I really want you to explain to me is um, you had said, you had said something to me recently, recently, and it was, you had made an observation that as jugglers, I mean, including me and you and, and everybody, all of us, all the jugglers, everyone has, we kind of have the same sign, same kind of process. We're all in the same process. And this goes back to your idea that I talk about all the time and you never remember, but it's the long, narrow tunnel of innovation. We're, we're in this, we're in this long, narrow tunnel, meaning that we all buy the same, I have the same balls and you, as you do, and you have the same clubs that I have. And so we're innovating in this very narrow, you know, spectrum of, for example, all the possible shapes that you could juggle, right? And so in the same way that we're all in this long, narrow tunnel of innovation, um, we're, we're all in the same sort of process. We're all working on the same collage. That's something you say all the time. We're all working on the same. Do you want to yeah, say no, that really no, fast? No, that's, that's fine. Yeah, we're all working on the same collage. The idea there is that so I'm, you have clubs and I have very similar clubs and you make a club trick. So then I see your club trick and I go, oh, that's a cool club trick. I should throw the third throw in that pattern should be under the arm. And then I mm. make that variation, which is very similar to yours, but it's a slight variation. So it's like, it's as if we have this big collage that we're all working on. We all using the same pieces. We're all expanding on this this unison, this one work, which is club juggling, let's say, mm -hmm. variations of club juggling, right. is, is, is the collage in this instance. Yeah, so, so, we're, so we all have this, this, this kind of... Just to counter yeah. that, just to counter that, okay. to, to clarify what I mean. So that, that would, that's the situation we're, that we're in, and we're all dealing with throws, we're all dealing with catching with the hand, maybe sometimes with the foot, you know, sometimes we balance. Where on the counter would be the counter situation would be that you're using clubs, but I'm using, uh, you know, peacock feathers with small pieces of with a peanut mm -hmm. <laughs> attached to the end of each one of them, mm -hmm. and I'm and and I'm doing that in vacuum using you know something else right <laughs> okay, okay. It's, it's trying to set up a completely uh, separate premise for where mm. how the manipulation and the juggling could take place mm. that would be a situation where we we would not different collages <laughs> we're working on the same collage yeah okay. yeah okay. well so 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 right so we so this you had this observation that everyone were kind of having the same process in these different ways right um and that well, some of us are better at that process than others. I mean, you're better at different parts of that process than I'm better at different parts of the process than you, right? So some of us have more quote unquote success than others in various ways to define success to however that goes. Um, but then you had said that to change the, you were thinking that you have to change the process to change the outcome. And then you had said this one final thing that it was really, um, it really stuck out to me. And you said, there's this false premise that great juggling is created in the studio. So what did you mean by that? <laughs> <laughs> well, 
I don't know if it's a f- that that was probably a little bit harsh. I mean, you need a good play. Sure, it's, it's slightly out of context to be able to uh, to repeat exercises enough of enough times so that you can show them in front of an audience. Let's say, but what I meant when I was mm. talking about that, what I meant was that. We we all we're all working on the same collage. We're all just doing slight variations of what someone else has been doing before us, and we all have the same process, which is to take our same equipment and go into a very similar space. Mm. Like I go into a practice studio. You have another practice studio, but it's kind of similar. You know, we all have good. We try to get good light in there. The floor is level. It's not. It's not like on a big slope. Exactly. Or whatever. Blah blah blah. There's ceiling height. It's it's very similar. Yeah. So so then I was just thinking like okay well if we if for whatever reason we think that well I would like to have a different outcome mm-hmm. than everybody else, but I still I'm still gonna use the same tools and I'm gonna mm-hmm. I'm still gonna go into the same similar space. Yeah. That, that there's that idea, right? That that if you want to change the outcome, you change the process. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, false premise that great juggling is created in the studio. If I'm allowed to rephrase that, perhaps sure. I, sh- I would say the false premise is that all great juggling is created in the studio. Yeah. Whereas all the other spaces and and contexts and frameworks and setups that we could have perhaps there is one out there that also creates great juggling we know about the studio i mean anthony gato has a pretty nice studio in <laughs> to be the best you know he goes to the ymca <laughs> right, seems right. to be working out good for him there you go <laughs> you know so that's that's been tried and tested i think right and i mean well okay last thing last thing last thing you had said something funny to me yesterday. You said that uh, to have a progress on your process, a large part of it is the stamina and cash flow, and there was some other quality. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's so funny. I just wanted to mention that. What well, are... well, what I meant was that, <laughs> you know, in, in order to progress, you just, you, what you need is you have to have a development. Yeah. And you have to have you have to have that development over a long span of time. Mm. And in, in order to sustain yourself over a long sta- uh, span of time, yeah. you have to have stamina. Otherwise, you're going you're gonna to dip out at some point. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the other thing that you need in order to have a development of a long span of time is you have to have resources in terms of just life. Right? Yeah, exactly. you said cash flow, but that's, I, I, that's I short, do... but that's shorthand for resources. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I, I said cash flow, but you could say anything. You could have a nice friends that cook for you and a yeah, sleep yeah, yeah. on someone's couch. You can define it however you want, right? But the universal yeah, yeah. Uh, filler for, for that would be money. No, I think this... I think. I, what really stuck out to me and why I wanted to mention it is just this idea of stamina has become more and more important to me, not because I've run out of stamina, I hope, or I don't think I have, but it's, I've just come to realize how valuable it is. And this idea of sustainability in my practice um, was, I, I always use the analogy of like, especially again, relating juggling to the circus world. Well, I just pick juggling randomly. I mean, I didn't even pick it. I stumbled upon it. It, it picked me or whatever. Um, I never considered being a handstand artist or, or a teeterboard or acrobat, whatever. But then you you look at some of these um, Chinese circus performers in the in the in the in the Chinese circus, and they retire. 
by the time they're 18 because their bodies are just broken because they're doing these acrobatics and literally breaking their bodies before they're even done being teenagers. And so then this kind of sustainability, you think about Francis Brunn, who's how old was he in the hospital bed learning to do the triple ball yeah, like stack? 80, 70, 80. This is not, nothing I ever intentionally did, but I did stumble upon some sort of sustainability in my practice as an artist. And I'm really grateful for that, I have to say. So when you brought up this idea of stamina, I also really appreciated that.